0: Welcome to the Martech
1: Podcast. Today we're going to talk about how I found myself in and got out of email deliverability jail. Joining us is Yanatori Asparaki, who is a deliverability specialist at Email Console, which is a product created by deliverability specialists with over 15 years of experience that gives you insights into your domain's reputation and your inboxing rates. From seed list to block list monitoring, email console helps you remain proactive by using email marketing software's data together with deliverability data to make sure that you don't end up where I was in email jail. And today, Yana Tori and I are going to discuss how email even works. All right, here's the first part of my conversation with Yana Tori Asparaki, deliverability specialist at email console. Yana, welcome to the Martech Podcast.
2: Thank you for having me. So excited to talk about email with you today.
1: Yana, this is going to be three days of pure flattery because (laughs) I want everybody to know that I messed up and Yana saved me. We're going to start off by talking about my email deliverability problems. Actually, we're going to end up talking about my email deliverability problems. But the way that Yana and I met is something that I want to start this podcast off on. I realized that our cold email deliverability rates went from a 60% open rate to a 20% open rate over the span of three months. And the account that I use for personal emails had deliverability problems. Our transactional emails had deliverability problems. We were clearly being punished for something that we were doing by sending emails. And I reached out on LinkedIn and said, does anybody who's an email consultant know how to help me solve these problems? And like an angel. Yana showed up. She had a bunch of meetings for me. She didn't ask to get paid. I have no idea why. This podcast is my way to say thank you, Yana. I love you. Thank you.
2: Oh, this is great. And for me, I can talk about email all day long. Any kind of problem is just it makes me really happy. So it was really nice to see your message on LinkedIn.
1: <laughs> you made my day, you made my month and you, you dramatically helped my business. And so I wanna share some of your expertise with my audience. Let's start off by talking about how email even works. We all know, you know, you go into your inbox, you send an email, maybe you're using an ESP, an email service provider, lots of tools out there people are using for emails. Talk to me about the background that people don't know about how email works.
2: I'm going to start with the biggest misconception, which is the fact that if you send an email to a valid email address, that person will receive it in the inbox. And that's where it just goes downhill from there. Because if you have that assumption, you don't start thinking about, what you need to do or what you should be looking out for before you even send that email out. And that's a little bit of my mission. There's a lot of things people should know about and they don't. And it can either dramatically make an issue in their business or things can just stop working one day or they just never work. And you might start thinking that maybe email marketing is not for you or for your type of business. And the issue is that people just didn't get that email. So it's kind of hard for them to engage with any of that amazing content you wrote if no one is getting that email, right?
1: That's the biggest problem that I had was nobody tells you when you have email deliverability issues, they just stop receiving your emails. And all of a sudden you look at poor business performance.
2: Exactly. And then it makes you think you have to go to different avenues and you realize maybe Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever. And that's not really how you're going to go get your customers. Email does work. Just people need to start getting them. And especially in the last couple of years, we've all heard about the laws, you know, GDPR is coming out, can spam, castle, all of those things. And it never made anybody kind of stop and be like, why are all these laws being implemented? And should I care as a business or should I care as somebody receiving emails from businesses? And all in all, just the security measures throughout time are just getting bigger and bigger and difficult to navigate. And for somebody who's just starting to open a business or even businesses who send millions of emails a day, still don't know that my job exists. (laughs) No one ever stops to think, do I need to make sure people are getting my message? It's just like, let me send it. Obviously, they will get an email.
1: Let's say seasoned marketers understand that email deliverability is a thing. I don't think anybody is blind to that. But the problem is they don't know when there's email problems or what causes them. So let's talk about the dynamics. There's a whole bunch of players that are involved. There is the systems that you're using to send your emails, who receives your emails or who is making the decision of whether they're getting sent, delivered, or sent into spam. Talk to us about the process of what happens after you go into your inbox and press the send button.
2: Okay. So when you go and you click send on any email marketing tool you're using for your business or in your personal inbox, what happens is that the person is selling a machine or a company to send out a message. It will pass through a couple of places until it gets where it's supposed to land. And the person receiving it is not only receiving the content of your email, but is receiving all the information that comes from where did it come from, where did it pass through? Is it the real person? Did the message get hijacked halfway through and the content has been changed? Is the person sending the email a good sender? And is going to take all those data sets and make a decision of where that email should go? And they're also going to be looking at their own customers. So if I'm somebody who really likes a certain type of industry, signing up to a newsletter that's in the same industry. Probably will land in my Gmail inbox or my Hotmail inbox, knows that this is an email I want and will give it to me. And in other cases, you're going to have the issue, for example, where people are going to be sending out emails and they're using a tool misconfigured. They don't know it because the tool doesn't tell them. They can't possibly know. And the inbox is going to receive it, it's going to look at all the information and be like, I'm not really sure this is the actual business sending the email. I cannot trust the source. And it will decide that maybe this email should go to spam or should go nowhere at all. And they're not obligated to share that information back to you. They're not sending you a signal that's going to say, you know what, I don't trust you, therefore the email goes nowhere. They might tell you information if an email address is invalid. valid, that's forms of bounces, that's what most bounces are, but they won't necessarily tell you, we don't trust you and we just don't trust your business.
1: So here's what is confusing to me, right? You think of, well, I'm using Google Apps in, in my case for my business to send emails. Some people are using Microsoft Exchange. I'm sure there's a million other products out there that you can be using. And that's just to send one-to-one emails. Then you have your email service providers, like your MailChimp's, your active campaigns, where you're sending newsletters or transactional emails that are one-to-many. Then there's services like Outreach, where you're sending basically mail merges that are one-to-one, but you're kind of sending them in a templatized fashion. We use Mixmax for that. There's all these different ways to send emails. You have to choose which platforms you're using to make sure that You're using the right platform for what you're trying to accomplish. But then there's these like checks that you need to go through to make sure that you're validating that you are the person sending the email. So when it's received, the block lists are not basically flagging your email as suspicious. So walk me through some of the checklists. You know, there's DKIM and SPF and God knows there's a million other acronyms. What are the different things that you need to do to make sure that you're setting your email reputation up for success?
2: The first and most absolute thing you have to do before you even start sending out emails or even planning your content is to authenticate your email. I talk about this all the time. If you look me up, I've written another article about it and I'm literally restating the same things authentication proves that you're the one sending out that email. And now everybody's like, what do you mean proof? I sent it. Obviously, the other side should know that I actually sent it. But it's very complicated. So when you're creating your, you know, you're using G Suite, right? When you created the inbox, Google asks you to put certain DNS records inside your hosting provider. It's like a bunch of copy-paste. And then boom, your inbox works. and You can start sending emails. Now, me as an email deliverability specialist who can build her own MTA or used to work at an MTA, I would be able to, in a certain way, pretend to be you, especially if you're not authenticated. I can create an email header, put all the right information in it, send out the email. And when the other side receives it, they can look at where did it come from, who sent it. And they're more likely going to think it's actually you. So by setting some authentication, you're hiding some secret codes here and there. And whenever you send an email, it will have that secret code inside the email. And the other side can validate if the secret codes match. So are you really the one sending? Therefore, if you're sending emails that are authenticated and have your identity, when I send and I try to pretend, they'll be able to make the difference between the one that's pretending and the one that is real. And in certain cases, some people have implemented DMARC. So this is kind of a reporting policy, and it will let you know every time a tool that's not authenticated is sending emails using your domain.
1: Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, MuteNex.
2: So the first method of authentication you have to implement is DKIM. That proves that you're the domain owner. So when you're sending out an email, this is my domain. It's sending from there. It's me. SPF is the second one that you need to implement. And it shows you which machines or which tools are allowed to send out emails on your behalf. So if you're using G Suite and Flowmailer. And CakeMail, let's say you would have in that SPF record saying the IPs from G Suite are allowed to send emails with this domain. CakeMail is allowed to send emails with domain. And so this formular.
1: Okay, so DKIM is, yes, I own the domain. And SPF is, here are the tools that are allowed to send emails using my domain.
2: Exactly. And those two together can show that you're really the owner of that email. You're the one that sent it out. Right. And the last one is DMARC. So DMARC is a reporting authentication. So it's kind of like that security, that two-factor authentication you get when you try to get into the bank. And the bank just wants to make sure it's really you. And that way you get notified. If it's not you, you can call the bank immediately and tell them, "Um, why did I get a code? I didn't want this, right? So DMARC does the same thing. It will let you know that, hey, there's a computer or somebody is trying to send emails pretending to be you. In certain cases, it tends to be you. There's a lot of tools that we forget are sending emails on our behalf. You got like the QuickBooks and all those things. You don't really think this is email marketing. So you might not authenticate it. So you'll get a report saying, hey, this IP, send a message at that time or that day, and then you can kind of relate and say, oh, okay, I need to authenticate these tools as well. And in other cases, you can find out that other people are actually using your domain to send out emails, which is impacting your reputation. It might look like it's you. So if they're doing bad things on your behalf, it will impact your deliverability as well. So it's very important to know if people are using your domain. And people usually tend to tell me, well, like, yeah, my business is small. What are the chances? The chances are pretty high because you don't have any of this put into place. They know that. They'll grab your domain. They'll start sending emails pretending to be you. And the moment your reputation dies and none of those emails get land in the inbox, they'll just move on to the next person and steal poop their domain.
1: So there's three steps. And even for the smallest business, it's important to know what these are. DKIM, do you own the domain? SPF, who's allowed to send emails from your domain? And DMARC is essentially your two-factor authentication That is proving that, yes, these are the emails that were sent from me or the devices that I approved.
2: I would say that the mark is like more of a bodyguard. It will block an email. You decide, like it will block an email because you said it's not mine. And it will also let you know that it's happened.
1: So once you go through the authentication process, then you get to this block list hurdle where you send these emails out. And there's these mysterious robots somewhere in the world. Nobody knows who or what they are, except for you, of course, Yana. Where I send an email and maybe it gets to where it should go. And I'm not really going to know if it gets delivered or if it gets sent to spam. Talk to me about who runs the block list and why are they so evil?
2: (laughs) They're not evil. If you're on the consumer side, you don't want spam, right? I am on the
1: consumer side.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's a maximum amount of Walmart emails you can possibly get in a day. Some of them need to be stopped. (laughs) Fair. Fair. So I think block lists are great, especially in my job and especially in my inbox as well. I just get so many emails from people I really don't know. So block lists in general, I call them like the internet police. One inbox provider can listen to one block list or several of them and another inbox provider will listen to different ones and things like that. So every block list looks at different things. They're able to monitor, for example, which IPs are hitting a lot of spam rates. So people who are using these IPs tend to be spammers or they tend to email people they don't know other block lists their purpose is is to see and to catch people who don't have good list hygiene or they go and they buy lists so what they do is that they create these like fake email addresses that look real and spread them all over the internet they might buy domains that used to exist but they're not owned by the business anymore and they run them And after a long time, and those emails are all over the internet, anybody who's buying lists, so this means you're know you scraping LinkedIn for email addresses or websites to give yourself more volume to send to. But those emails that are there and they're hidden, they can't obviously sign up to anything. So the blog list will be like, well, I own this inbox and I definitely didn't sign up to this. So if you sign up to it, it's obviously because you're buying lists, because you're finding them on the internet, and they're going to penalize you for it. Sometimes things happen. You re-upload and load lists and you just, you know, bad luck. You had a couple of domains that became spam traps there and they will catch you and you'll have to either clean your list, wait it out if you don't know what happened. And at some point they will delist you as long as those spam traps get off your list. So the blocklets are doing various little traps here and there to be able to catch specific habits from people who don't have good email practices. And this bites people in the ass because things, for example, like, In the United States, the laws are different. You're allowed to email whoever you want, as long as you give them a way to opt out, but you're allowed to buy a list and send it to them. And it's been a practice quite everywhere and it still is. And it becomes very difficult for businesses who used to rely on that model to make money or to meet new people and to send promotions to people and make connections. And now you have these, you know, internet polices are coming over and say, "Uh, uh, ah, I know these people didn't sign up to you. They don't want your content. And that will hurt your deliverability. And most people don't know really it's a thing. Deliverability people tend to think about spammy words or spammy links and things like that. Or don't put this in the subject line. But deliverability is about negotiating with a very moody spam filter.
1: I think of the spam filters and the spam traps being like the highway patrol. We're all going, we're all trying to get where we're going. And some people just want to speed ahead. And if you're going 100 miles per hour, eventually you're going to get hit with a speed trap and you're going to get a ticket. And that's, you know, if you're not following email best practices, whether it be copy content, whether it be how you're sourcing your list, eventually you're going to get caught by these traps because they're relatively sophisticated. Once you get through the block list, hopefully your email gets there. Now, Talk to me about the difference between the block list and spam.
2: So the block lists are there to help the inboxes make better decisions. So Gmail has a spam filter, Hotmail has a spam filter, everyone has a spam filter, but they're not going to necessarily help each other and give each other that data. So the block lists are kind of like external parties and these businesses can all get some more information from them in order to make better decisions and feed their spam filters who are making the decision more data, more information about your habits. So a spam filter, especially within an inbox, so for example, Gmail They know how many emails you sent to their customers, whatever's coming from your domain, and what those customers of yours are actually doing with the emails. They know for real that these people have opened the email and these people have not. Or they know how long they stayed on the email or what they did with it. Did they put it in the trash? Did they just like open and delete? Did they just look at it in spam and then leave it in spam? They look at all these things and they're able to calculate because Google is just smarter than all of us combined and make that spam filter make a really good decision. And on my side, I find Gmail has been pretty fair, actually, with the spam filters. It takes them quite a long time or quite really a big hit for them to start taking your emails and say, you know what, I don't trust you. I don't want your emails. None of our users want the email in their inboxes. Bye-bye. They do take quite a long time. But when you do hit that door, then if you don't do drastic changes, it will take a really long time to trust them again. I always use the credit score analogy the banks will give you credit, but if you don't pay your bills for a very, very long time and then you decide to buy a house, it's going to take a long time before you can go get that loan. The banks need to trust you and so do the spam filters. And Gmail's really like that. Hotmail on the other side, their spam filters are a little bit more different. They're a little bit more black and white. They, for example, really like to listen to the spam house block list. So if you're hitting email addresses that don't exist, I couldn't possibly sign up. Hotmail doesn't care if spam house says, I don't trust these people. Hotmail immediately will make your all your emails bounce. There's not even one email that is going to land in the inbox. And that's a problem because if you don't notice it, because maybe you don't have enough Hotmail email addresses, and that does include people who use Microsoft 365, those emails will just go nowhere. And if you don't look at your bounces and the reason, you might lose some customers because you emailed them a couple of times. It hard bounce, your MailChimp account, your Flowmiller account removes them from your list. And then you just keep on going. You just lost all these people because you were on a block list. It can really impact you. So different spam filters care about different things. Gmail cares about DMARC. It will let you know that hey, somebody's pretending to be you. We blocked it for you. Other providers don't look at authentication as much. We're thinking here about like smaller inbox providers that don't have the resources maybe to analyze the data and make decisions on it. So spam filters are really like the last line of defense, and they're built by the inbox service providers. And they're the like using them. So every single one is a little bit different.
1: So there's two stages before your email actually gets delivered. One, you're going through a block list, which is essentially an independent organization saying whether your emails have been authenticated, whether they're being sent from the right person. And then second, the individual inbox is saying, hey, is this a message that we think should be delivered to the inbox or the spam box? Is this something that our users are going to want? And the scariest part of all of this, while email can be relatively complicated, it's really hard to understand if you're having a deliverability problem, if you're getting hit by the block list. So we're going to talk about that specific issue tomorrow. We're going to bring Yana back to continue the conversation.
2: The last thing you said is that emails pass through block lists. They don't pass through block lists. The inboxes and the spam filters listen to block lists in order to make a decision, but they don't pass through them. They're just like data centers of like, these people suck. Don't trust them. And then Gmail's like, okay, but they don't pass through the block list.
1: Well, Yana, I stand corrected. So the way that it works is the email block list provider passes on data to the inbox who decides whether to outright block the email or move the email to spam. So the block list is essentially a data source, not necessarily a filter into deliverability. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Yanatori Asparaki, Deliverability Specialist at Email Console. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Yana and I are going to talk about recognizing email deliverability problems. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Yana Tori, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact her on Twitter, where her handle is Yana Tori, Y-A-N-N-A-T-O-R-R-Y, or you can visit her company's website, which is emailconsole.com, E-M-A-I-L-C-O-N-S-U-L.com.